Hello, and welcome to a special podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and I'm joined today by David Brady, the Bowen H. and Janice Arthur McCoy Professor of Political Science in the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Davies Family Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, and by Douglas Rivers, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, Professor of Political Science at Stanford, and Chief Scientist at the global polling firm YouGov PLC. And uh, gentlemen, polling is indeed what brings us together today because there's been a lot of punditry and a lot of handicapping of what Donald Trump's popularity means in the Republican presidential race. And you guys, unlike a lot of those folks, have actually gone to the trouble of doing the research through YouGov polling and figuring out who Trump supporters are and trying to get a, a fix on what it means. So let's just start by dealing with some of the analysis that has sort of turned into conventional wisdom that you hear pretty often. Uh, the first piece of which is that Donald Trump's popularity is the result of a restive conservative base that hates what's what you usually hear referred to as the Republican establishment. That these are primarily sort of Tea Party type voters who've had it up to here with the professional political class and that this is their revolt. Uh, is that what the data shows you here? No. Uh, the Trump voters are not particularly conservative. Um, they are strongly opposed to any kind of immigration perform, uh, reform, but on nearly everything else, uh, they're more moderate um, in terms of general ideology, uh, in terms of social issues. Uh, it's not too surprising given the candidate's personal history. Um, and on economic issues, uh, they're more likely to be in favor of the minimum wage. Um, they're less likely to be uh, fans of capitalism. And uh, uh. So, by the way, this is uh, true in both polls. Uh, we should say that uh, we had two polls from YouGov. Uh, the first one is uh, one where we interviewed uh, 1,400 people in, before the Trump candidacy, and then we re-interviewed the same people in August after the Trump candidacy. And those results uh, showed uh, what Doug just said, although not uh, that poll did not have specifics on immigration issues. And the second poll that Doug's referring to is the one that was on that he that YouGov did for CBS and was uh, uh, pretty prominent in yesterday's interviews. And what did we learn from the results of that more recent poll? Well, uh, first, there's been a surge of uh, Ben Carson is now the second place candidate uh, far ahead of uh, the rest of the field. Um, so at least as of today, it's a Trump-Carson race. Uh, I rather doubt it will stay that way. Um, what we did learn is that uh, Ben Carson is getting the socially conservative, more traditional, uh, economic conservative uh, Republicans. Um, and Trump is tapping this uh, populist uh, element in the Republican base. But, by the way, the uh, Trump, Trump support, uh, when we asked uh, in the YouGov first poll, we asked uh, who their people's second candidate was. Uh, Trump does not have uh, – he's not a second choice of very many people. It's 8 uh, percent. Others did much better. Carson did better and apparently that movement is uh, continuing on in the poll that uh, Doug uh, – that was released yesterday. 
Yeah, people know whether they like Trump or not, uh, and it's a <laughs> sort of bipolar response. I'm curious beyond the ideological profile of Trump supporters about the um, about the demographic profile. So one in, one instance of that: Donald Trump's personal wealth is almost one of his campaign themes. He's constantly reminding people of how <laughs> wealthy he is, yes. how much money he's made. But uh, when you look at his supporters, is he is that representative of who support? Is he a candidate of the financial elites? What no. do his supporters look like no. in demographic terms? No, the opposite. He's uh, our poll on the re-interview showed that his supporters are a little less well educated. They make less money, uh, and so on down the line. So they're they're not rich at all. Yeah, one of the interesting things about uh, Trump's appeal is, you know, he's constantly saying how successful he is. Uh, he's not bashful about it. It's it's quite a brazen uh, appeal. Um, his supporters are not ones like traditional Republicans that think, you know, free enterprise is uh, great and it works perfectly. It's fair to everybody. Uh, they're saying Donald Trump uh, knows how this system works. They think it's rigged, and he's offering to cut them in on the deal. Do we have a sense of the demographics where he he doesn't play? That is to say, is there a segment of Republicans with which his numbers are dramatically lower, or is this support a pretty standard distribution for a GOP candidate? Um, it's fairly even across the board. He does worse with social conservatives, uh, with the most active Republicans. Uh, he's drawing a lot of support from people who did not vote in the Republican primaries in 2012. Uh, so it's a, it's a different year than 2012 where you, uh, in 2012 we had Romney, uh, was always the first or second place candidates and a socially conservative candidate like a Michelle Bachman uh, or a Rick Santorum uh, or even Newt Gingrich would pop up and then fade. Um, Carson is closer uh, to the appeal of those type of candidates, but the Trump support doesn't look at all like the Romney support. I just looked at uh, – it's sort of interesting. I was looking at the religious uh, breakdown of demographics of his supporters and he has uh, – he and Carson have the most – he has a higher percentage of evangelicals are for him than for Santorum. It, uh, it's, it was sort of uh, truly amazing, uh, the spread. His appeal is not – uh, it's it's what Doug said it was earlier. It's not not based on uh, religion and uh, sort of uh, <clears throat> what's what's typically in the press today. The the candidate that he actually draws most from uh, is Ted Cruz. Yeah. Uh, he took away about half of Ted Cruz's support. Interesting thing we found was he didn't actually draw very much from Jeb Bush. Now Bush has gone down in the polls is now in the low single digits is doing terribly. Uh, but it wasn't because he lost that vote to Trump. Uh, yeah, Trump didn't take anything from Bush. He he took he took uh, the two people he took the most from, or as Doug said, Ted Cruz, and then he took the second from Governor Perry, second most. And who's out now, of course? Is, is there a ready historical analogy for this? I mean, it, it sounds just to a layperson like the sort of coalition that you're describing. I'm hard pressed to think of a precedent for this amongst Republican primary voters. Well, <laughs> Donald Trump is sui generis. Uh, we have yet to have a reality TV star as yeah. a serious presidential candidate. Uh, and, you know, frankly, 
his campaign is run like a reality TV show. He insults his opponents. Uh, you know, if he doesn't know the answer to something, he just says whatever and moves on to the next topic. So, so we're, I, sort, we're yeah, sort of so, in uncharted territory here then. Well, I agree. You know, people, because this is what we do for a living, but people are constantly saying, well, pick a winner, you know. And and in the past, uh, pretty pretty good. You could say, as Doug said, in 2012, you know, Romney was always first or second. And then in 2008, you thought McCain, some people thought McCain was out, but I never did. I had a feeling that he was in there and it was going to be this time. Uh, it, Trump is uni- sui generis in Doug's sense. And the second thing that is confounding things and has changed in the past is the amount of money these people have. In right. 2012, uh, Gingrich, un- in a normal year, uh, Speaker Gingrich would have been out of the race because he didn't have enough money. But he was able to hang in there. And, you know, they hang in for a few more election, a few more primaries, and they change the results on the margin. And in a close rate, that makes a big difference. So the amount of money and their ability to stay in the race longer. And Trump, I don't think he's going away. I don't know. I haven't talked to Doug about it, but I don't think he's going away. You, uh, Doug? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, I want to go back to something that you mentioned in, in passing uh, a moment ago, which is the support for Trump amongst people who maybe didn't necessarily vote in 2012. One of the notions that you've heard from pundits more recently is that the kind of support that Trump garners is from the kinds of people that as a statistical matter might not be all that likely to eventually actually turn out and, and vote. I mean we have to be careful about such things of course because they also said that about Barack Obama once upon a time. But any evidence in what you guys are seeing that his support is tilted disproportionately to people who are maybe less engaged in the process? Yeah, so they, uh, the Trump voters say they're – less frequent primary voters. Uh, we match voters to their uh, vote history on the voter list so we can see whether they voted in the past. Uh, they're somewhat more likely to have overstated voting in the past, which may exaggerate his support a little bit. Uh, but it could well be he is drawing a set of voters in who uh, we're less likely to participate before. Um, they're much more negative on the process, uh, cynical about it rather than alienated. Uh, it seems as if more and more people are sounding the same note that, that you guys both did, that it doesn't look like Trump's going anywhere anytime soon. But let's just say hypothetically for a moment that he did. If he flamed out or if he quit the race, maybe if he just got <laughs> bored with it, what could we posit about where that support might go, if anything? Well, the 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 three there. First of all, it was reasonably well spread, but uh, the second uh, first was the second first second choice was uh, the doctor Carson. Second was uh, Carly Fiorina, and then third was uh, Bush. He, Bush got about ten percent. The others uh, were in double digits, and it looks like from uh, the poll that Doug uh, was talking about uh, that was done. Uh, prior to or past the one I'm, I'm talking about, it looks like those numbers for Carson are gaining as people on the right on social conservative issues are look like they're moving a little bit away from Trump and toward Carson. So I'd say Carson at this point is the beneficiary. And then interestingly, number two, another outsider, Carly Fiorina, is number two. Yeah, so this Carson is about the second choice of about a third of the Trump voters and then Carly Fiorina next, even though the 
kind words that the Donald See, that's up by that's doubled in the time of the from August to now that number for Carson has doubled but it, uh, it's not symmetrical so uh, the second choice of Carson supporters is not Trump so if Carson starts to fade uh, I suspect a, another candidate that appeals to the religious socially conservative base of the Republican Party will uh, likely emerge. In a lot of the polling analysis, you'll see people place a lot of emphasis on the uh, favorability, unfavorability numbers, on the theory that that's one of the better measures of both a candidate's support and their potential support. I want to ask you to look at the specifics of that in a, in a moment, but before that, um, why don't we just examine that precept for a moment for our audience of non-pollsters. Is that right? Is favorability that valuable of a metric? Yeah, it sets a upper bound on how much support you can get. Uh, Trump's problem is uh, that he's highly unpopular uh, among Democrats, uh, so it's hard to see how he gets close to 50 percent of the electorate uh, once it becomes a general election. Even, even among Republicans, his favorability ratings are uh, like in the poll in August were about fourth place of the candidates, but his unfavorable ratings are much higher than anybody else's. The only one who comes even close is Jeb Bush, and in Bush's case, they say slightly unpopular, but in Trump's case, he's at uh, over a quarter of the voters. Just, they have a very unfavorable of Republican who say they're registered and strong Republicans, not leaning Republicans. 26% of uh, those people responding say they have a very unfavorable opinion of Trump which can't be good in the long run. So is it fair to say that Trump has really benefited by the structure of this race, that you've got this gargantuan field and his supporters are concentrated with him and his opposition is dispersed amongst everybody else? Exactly. Uh, if you can get a third of the vote at this point, you're leading the field. Um, the problem is once uh, the other 17 candidates start to disappear, <laughs> as that process has started with yeah. uh, Perry dropping out, uh, how do you uh, gain from where you are today? Uh, and it does look to me like Trump's got a problem that way. OK. So who – when we're talking about the favorability numbers, who looks good right now? Carson's uh, Carson's favorable. Yeah. Carly Fiorina's favorable. It, it seems that uh, – now, now, first of all, only Trump – that's really bad numbers. Bushes were uh, up there, but not as bad. The people who are less well-known uh, generally have favorability. Now, Kasich is pretty high on the favorability. Yeah, there are a bunch of candidates who aren't that well-known who get to define themselves. Uh, Trump, maybe he's not well-known as a politician, but uh, his name recognition is high, so people already have an opinion of him. Yeah, I should say Marco Rubio uh, has a pretty good uh, favorability to unfavorability ratio. P people like him. Of the so, I'm talking about only the Republican, regular Republicans uh, in our sample. So the final question that I'll put to you guys is you mentioned on Friday we had the first dropout of this campaign with Rick Perry. Uh, it seems to me a lot of people would have lost money on that as the first one out of the race. Looking at the numbers that you guys are seeing, who's going to have to make a similar decision soon? Who are the next few candidates who may have to look at pulling the plug? We don't have a half hour, do we? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know their names, some of them. Uh, I don't think Pataki's around for long. I don't think Jindal's around for long. Uh, I don't even know some of the uh, – Gilmore, I don't think he's around for long. So there's, there's a set of four or five there that 
Yeah, that, you know, that get, Lynn, Graham, Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham did not get a single person in our Iowa or New Hampshire polls saying they're going to vote for him. They were all <laughs> South Carolina. But I want to say that of the four atheists that showed up on the regular Republicans in our in the August sample, uh, three were for uh, Lindsey Graham. So he got seventy five percent of the Republican atheist vote. <laughs> which, which, as you can gather, is not going to take him far. A valuable block, to be sure. Yeah. So basically what you guys are telling me is that at this point, especially with Carly Fiorina moving up to the big stage, if you're, if you're the kind of candidate who's still in these undercard debates, you probably need to think about folding things up pretty soon. Um, well, you know, the, the problem is that Trump, Carson, and Fiorina have never held elective office. Uh, there are a whole bunch of people that have the kind of resume you traditionally look for in a presidential candidate, the governor of a big state, a senator, um, you know, who would be considered serious, strong candidates. Uh, none of those has emerged yet. Uh, so most of them are sort of the view, hey, I can hang around for a while and see if I get lucky. And I would also look at uh, the amount of money and who's backing them and how long they're likely to stay in there for them. All right, gentlemen. Well, I'm sure we'll be continuing this conversation as the process rolls on. My guests have been David Brady and Douglas Rivers. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.